Thanks, Steve. Not sure if that introduction was more like me or Eddie Haskell from Leave It to Beaver, but uh, nonetheless, probably mostly accurate. <laughs> it's good to be here this morning with you. Thanks for having me, and welcome to Family Bible Church if this is your first time visiting. It's my first time, too, so I won't have you raise your hand because I can relate with you. I want to ask you to open your Bibles this morning if you have one, and if not, I'm going to read. You can just uh, read along with me to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. It's right after the Gospel of John. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And we're going to open up to chapter 1. So we start a new year. So we start a new decade. The book of Acts is actually a book of beginnings as really the church was birthed and began. And we're going to look at really the very beginning of that here. We're going to read verses 6 through 11 this morning. So if you'll read with me. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that... Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word, so let's just pause for a moment and pray, if you will. Father, we begin this morning with worship to you. And as we open your word now, we ask that by your spirit you would guide us into understanding God, that you would reveal truth to us that causes us to change. God, help us to know you more, to realize our need for you this morning. And Father, I ask that you would speak even through me this morning. May it be your words spoken. We pray that all things bring you glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, a new decade... Not just a new year, but a, a new set of ten, if you will. A lot of life happens over a decade. As thought back to how my life has changed over the last decade, including multiple jobs and homes and marriage, three kids. Um, just a tremendous amount of life happens over the course of ten years. And I think January, as it rolls around, is often a time of both reflection and a time of looking forward. I think a lot of people take this time of year to look back and think, what would I do differently? How could life be different from what I did last year? And at the same time, looking forward, how might I be different? What are some of the things that I may change in life? For some people, that process may be as simple as making New Year's resolutions and thinking, I'm going to do this this year. I'm going to get a fresh start. In fact, it reminds me of a high school friend, uh, one of my best friends growing up. He would buy and sell cars like I changed shirts. 
this guy would have probably, and I'm not stretching here, a new car maybe every six, every six months or so. He loves the old classic cars. And so he went through um, Corvettes, Trans Ams, Mustangs, just that old Americana, that classic sports car or that muscle car. Sometimes he would just buy a car, drive it for a little while and enjoy it. And other times he would get a car and put a lot of work into it. And probably his crowning jewel was when he purchased a 1965 Mustang. Not just any, but it was a rare 2 plus 2 GT Fastback with a 289 high performance engine. If that sounds Greek to you, just hang with me. For those of you who uh, enjoy cars, you may recognize it. That, that Shelby Cobra GT Mustang was a real gem in the history of Mustangs. So my friend, he purchased this car, and the first thing he did was he stripped it down. Took all, imagine a car taking all the seats out, the, the steering wheel, the radio, I mean everything, and then stripped it down to bare metal. And it looked like a piece of junk. <laughs> this thing was horrible. It sat in his parents' garage for three years, had a cover over it. His mom stacked boxes on it. Just this rusty piece of metal. But my friend saw something in it. He had a vision for it that many people didn't see. And it began to work. It began to slowly, one section at a time, restore this car. And by the time he was finished, the naysayers were gone. This thing was beautiful. This was an awesome car. You know those car commercials where the car is cruising down the road, going as fast as it can, all kinds of life happening around. And then on the inside of the car, you could hear a pin drop, just silent. It's kind of that picture of luxury. That wasn't this car. You could hear this thing coming from three blocks away. This thing was a power horse. When you stepped on the gas, and I got to drive it a couple times, you felt the entire car lift up as if ready for battle and just take off. Man, it was, it's kind of getting me excited thinking about it right now. I'll be honest. It was a cool car. Took a lot of vision, though. My friend had to have something within him that saw the end product in this car that caused him to say, I want to make that like new again. I want that to be restored. We have things in our lives that we want to be restored. You have things possibly that you would like to make like new again. Maybe they're involved with some of those resolutions or the yearly goals we make. What is it this morning? If you could make something like new again in your life, what would it be? Some people get behind issues and they think, that's not the way it's supposed to be and I want to help make that like new again. Maybe it's a social justice issue. My wife is very passionate about human trafficking and battling, battling against human trafficking. Maybe it's a, excuse me, maybe it's a political issue that you're behind. The country's talking about health care reform and all kinds of restoration politically. Maybe it's, it's something in the schools that your kids go to or that you go to, or maybe in your job, maybe in the community here in Highland or the surrounding area. Maybe in the neighborhood where you live, change needs to happen. Guys, maybe your wives have that 
honey-do list at home, representing those things at the house that need to be fixed. What is it in your life? Some people focus on health. Maybe you're making a goal to change the way you diet or the way you exercise. I know this morning I got up to get ready to come here, and my wife had bought me this awesome Christmas sweater that I thought looked really good. I already wore it once, and I went to put it on this morning to get here. And um, we, we had missed one important thing on the tag that said, uh, dry clean only. And when I went to put it on this morning, it was like putting on one of my five-year-old's gloves um, as it shrunk around my body and thought, yeah, I could probably use some focus on <laughs> yearly physical attention. What is it this morning that you would like to bring restoration to? What is it this morning that would, if you could change anything, you would make new again? The book of Acts, restoration is at the very center of what the disciples were thinking about in this section that we read this morning. You know, a lot had happened up to this point in this section in the book of Acts. The disciples had witnessed the ministry and the miracles of Jesus Christ. They'd been with him for several years. They were with him when he was arrested and he was crucified. He was buried and put in a tomb. He was sealed off. They were there when the tomb was empty. They were there when he was resurrected back to life. In fact, the text tells us that Jesus had spent the last 40 days, a little over a month, one-on-one -on -one with his band of brothers, with his disciples. And Jesus had been teaching them about the upcoming task, the upcoming life they were to live. He'd been teaching them about the kingdom of God. And Jesus given, had given them very specific direct instructions. They were to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you were to look back in verses 4 and 5, it says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, after this intense time of being together, verse 6 comes around, the disciples have a question. They were thinking restorative. And, again, it, I, I don't know if it comforts you, but what we find in this text is the disciples were a little confused. The disciples had misunderstood, kind of like when I went to wash that sweater. They didn't quite clearly understand dry clean only. <laughs> the disciples, too, didn't quite have it right. And they came and asked Jesus, they said in verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's comforting to know that after even spending so much time with Jesus, Jesus, they could still be confused. Within Israel, you see, there was a pervasive thought that God was going to provide a Messiah. Going all the way back through the Old Testament, the idea was that God was going to bring salvation to the nation of Israel, that God was going to bring a king descended from the line of kings, tracing all the way back to King David in the Old Testament, 
and that this king was going to come as a political, military, this force, and establish the nation of Israel again to a, a state of sovereignty, a state of power. Many biblical scholars firmly believe that the disciples were thinking this when they came and asked Jesus. And I think it makes sense. They had been with the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows. And finally, this triumphant resurrection. They have no doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. And so it makes sense to them. This is the time we've been waiting for. Jesus is about to restore our nation. However, this was not the type of kingdom Jesus was referring to when he was instructing them. This was not the type of kingdom Jesus had been teaching them about. And he corrects them in verse 7. He says, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. The disciples were a little misunderstood. In fact, they were thinking restoration. Jesus was talking about one restoration. They were thinking something else entirely different. The disciples had what I would like to call myopic restoration. They were nearsighted. They, they weren't thinking big enough. They were thinking the kingdom of God in terms of just the nation of Israel. Their aspirations and their desires fell short of what God had already planned in advance for them. I think we too, I think we fall short. Sometimes in our aspirations, our dreams, our goals. Think back again. What are we wanting to be restored in, your, in our lives? It's not that our dreams are too big for God to do, but honestly, too often, our dreams are far too small. Far too small for what the God of the universe has prepared for us. And my ears are far too big for this microphone to stay on. <laughs> Typically, I think when we think of restoration, we want to restore things that are going to make us more comfortable. We want to restore things that are going to make our lives easier. There's nothing wrong with that. What is it that, that's in your mind? I want to make it new again. It's going to make your life better, hopefully. But with God, He doesn't want to make things just like new. He wants to make things brand new. See, when we think of making things like new, getting that car with that like new smell, making things like they were supposed to be, like new again. I got an iPod for Christmas from a, a well-intended, good-meaning relative that bought it off of eBay, and he thought he was buying a new one. And he won the bid just with seconds to go, and then he run it, read it in the description. For sale. Like new iPod. <laughs> he had missed that word, like, initially. And it's, it still works great. But you see, there's a problem when things are like new. Truth in advertising. It's also like old. We don't like to think of it that way. But when we have something that's like new... In reality, it's also a little bit like old. This is the type of restoration we do. The best things that we can do is to attempt to make something like new. The inherent problem, though, is it's also, in all honesty, like old. 
However, that is not how God does restoration. Jesus had a completely different type of restoration in mind when he was talking with his disciples. Jesus was inaugurating restoration by establishing the kingdom of God on earth. In verse 8 of Acts, chapter 1 here, Jesus gives the answer to what type of restoration he's providing. Look back with me at verse 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse actually serves as an outline for the entire book of Acts. If you were to read through the book of Acts, what you will find is it's a story. It's actually history, as Luke writes it. But it's the story of what the Holy Spirit of God is doing through people as he restores people. First of all, in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then through the ends of the earth follows right through the entire book. What is Jesus saying in this verse about restoration? His disciples are coming to him and saying, Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore our nation so that we now again can be favored, that we can be blessed? Jesus says, no. I think he's saying, we need to get our eyes off of what God is going to do for us. Let me say that again. I think Jesus is saying that we need to get our eyes off of what God is doing for us and put our focus on what God is trying to do in us and through us. Make no mistake, God is at work. He is at work here in 2010, just as much as he was at work on the day of Pentecost when his Holy Spirit came down and empowered his church. Essentially, Jesus calls us to restoration, first by offering us restoration personally in our lives, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he makes us instruments of restoration. You see, after we've experienced restoration personally, he charges us to go out and share that restoration with the world around us. Jesus says that the power for his restoration, he tells his disciples that it's coming from the Holy Spirit. And he tells them to wait for the Spirit and then to go out. There's no power when we try to restore things just for social reasons. There's no lasting power in political restoration. There is no lasting power in being good people. Acts of morality, good intentions. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that is not the type of restoration that Jesus is talking about, that God had planned through the power of His Spirit. The power for real change in our lives and in the world around us comes solely from the Spirit of God within us. Think about this for a moment. The power that caused a virgin woman, girl, to become pregnant with the Son of God came from the Holy Spirit. The power that allowed Jesus to walk on water 
to change water into wine, to raise the dead, bring them back to life, came from the Holy Spirit. The power that raised Jesus from the dead and triumphed over sin and death came from the Holy Spirit. And friends, the power of God's grace in our lives to offer us forgiveness of sin comes from the Holy Spirit. To live our lives for God. To be submitted to that Spirit that is within us. This is where restoration starts. Both for the disciples and for us. This is what establishes the kingdom of God. We're not to wait as the disciples were waiting and looking as Jesus went. We're not to wait for Jesus to come and put the kingdom of God here on earth. You see, he's given us his Holy Spirit that we may submit to his spirit and begin to experience the kingdom of God here and now. In his book, The Message of Acts, John Stott writes, For the exercise of power is inherent in the concept of a kingdom, but power in God's kingdom is different from power in, in a human kingdom. The kingdom of God is His rule set up in the lives of His people by the Holy Spirit, and it is spread by witnesses. Ah, I love that last sentence. Let me read it again. The kingdom of God is His rule set up in the lives of His people by the Holy Spirit, and it is spread by witnesses. God's rule set up in the lives of His people. Is God's rule set up in your life? I don't mean are God's rules set up in your life, as we often think. I mean the authority of God are you submitting to in your life. The grace of God in your life. The power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Are you experiencing God? Are you willing to exchange temporary personal happiness for the pursuit of personal holiness? This is God's rule for us. He wants us to be a holy people set apart for Him, living for Him as brand new people, bringing restoration to the world around us. We are to be witnesses of this gospel, this good news to us. See, the gospel, the Word of God, the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ offers us salvation by what he did when he died for us. It says that we are far more sinful than we could ever imagine. However, we are far more loved than you could ever dream. That Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And then he died the death we should have died. And then he rose from the grave and offered us his perfect life. 
This, my friends, is the gospel. And he gives us his spirit to experience. Not so that we can just know in our minds the word of God, but that our lives can be conformed, can be transformed. I love Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve the will of God. God offers us not just exchange. He offers us transformation. Not like new. Brand new. Wrapping this section up, Jesus instructs his disciples. The author Luke says in chapter 1 here, he said, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. It's an interesting point to make that as Jesus was taking up, a cloud descended upon him. You look through the Old Testament, just about well, several times throughout the Old Testament, when God came down and His presence came down to earth, it was associated with a thick, dense cloud. As Jesus was ascending back to God, you see the presence of God coming down to take Him, to meet with Him. Immediately, the text tells us that the disciples were standing. They're watching. They're looking up in the sky. No doubt in utter amazement. We read over this just as if it's words. They're standing there watching as their Savior is being taken up into heaven. Trying to put myself in, in their shoes, my, my jaw is, first of all, probably going to be on the ground. Secondly, probably going to be a little stunned and just in awe. But they're not really given too much opportunity to stand and keep watching. You see, the text says that two angels came and stood next to them. Well, it says two men in white. And scholars believe that these were angels. However, if they were not, they were the best sidlers that have ever been. A sidler is somebody who sneaks up on the side of you without you knowing that they're there. You ever known those people maybe in the office? You're standing there at the copy machine. You look over, boom, there's somebody right there. That's what these guys were. They're standing there watching. All of a sudden, here's these two guys in white right there. And they have a message for the disciples. They tell them, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking to the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. They don't even have the opportunity to ask, to talk to each other. They had their instructions. Go and wait for the Holy Spirit. You know, I think, too, when we think about restoration, we look outwardly to see what God is doing. We look at our pastors and our leaders to see what God is doing so that we can figure out what we should do. We look at maybe our nation's leaders or our nation's spiritual leaders to see what is God doing in this country or in the world so that we can take our cue of what to do. Restoration, though, is not something that we are to go and do. It begins with experiencing God through His Spirit. Just as the disciples were told to go and wait for the Spirit, and you don't have to look outwardly to figure this out, go and wait and look inwardly. 
How much time do you spend in your life looking inward? What I mean by that more specifically, how much time do you spend in prayer, in the Word, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to you? Not just here on Sunday mornings. And this is important. It is important that we come together as a group of believers and worship God together, enter into His Word. But personally, how much time are you waiting on the Holy Spirit to speak to you? To move within you? How much time this last week? Here's a better question. How much time this next week will you set aside to spend time with the Spirit of Jesus Christ who lives within us? God is a God of restoration offers to make us new. The pattern of the gospel is that we experience God making us new first inwardly, and then we take that outwardly. It's Restoration is not something we do, but it's the way we live our lives. Are you living a life that has been restored this morning? Have you experienced restoration in your life? Are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The beautiful thing about God's Word is that it's not information. It's not merely words in a book. But it's God's grace of transformation to us. And He gives us an opportunity not to sit and consume, but it gives us an opportunity to respond to the one true living God. This morning, you have an opportunity, I have an opportunity, we have an opportunity to respond to God. What is God asking you to do this morning? Maybe you have not experienced, maybe I'm talking about all of this and you're, Rich, I don't know what this Holy Spirit in my life is. And that's okay if that's where you're at. That is okay. But I want you to know, friends, that God offers you transformation. God offers you a brand new life, not just to make your life a little bit better. God offers you His life. And if you've never experienced that, I want to invite you to do that this morning. And it's as simple as just sitting where you're at and recognizing that you are a sinner, as I am, in need of God's grace and asking Him to forgive you of your sins. Friends, maybe some of you have been walking with the Spirit, but you know that you've not been living a restored life. You've been, at your best attempt, making things like new and a little like old. This morning you have an opportunity as well to respond. And it's as simple as resubmitting yourself this morning to what the Spirit is doing, to the Holy Spirit inside. Wherever you're at this morning, God gives us an opportunity to respond, whether in song and worship, whether by the giving of our gifts, our talents, our treasures. Just submit to the Spirit today. What could this community look like 
Vision with me for just a second. What could this community look like if this church, if this church began with individuals, with students, with families who were together and separately experiencing God's restorative power in your life? What could this community look like if you, as people came together then, as God's church, and begin experiencing His kingdom of restoration outwardly in this community. The power of God is unlimited. Unlimited. And the things that He wants to do through you and through this church is amazing. Friends, I invite you this morning to respond to God, to worship. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are sinners in need of you. God, we confess that when apart from you, we are left struggling. God, we so need your grace. God, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to the movement of your spirit this morning, not to let it pass by. God, I ask that you would allow us to be troubled in our hearts to the point that we want you. Not a part of you, but we want you, God. Not your blessings, but we want you, God. God, for those here this morning that may be just really grasping what the gospel is for the first time, God, I pray that they would embrace you. Confess our sin to you, God. God, we just want to sit silently before you.